Hello, everyone, and welcome to Functional Fertility, the podcast designed to demystify your hormones, up-level your lifestyle, and supercharge your fertility potential. I'm your host, Dr. Kalia Waddles, and I'm excited to venture into the realm of male fertility today with our guest, Dr. Justin Human. Dr. Human is a urologist based in Beverly Hills, focusing on men's sexual, reproductive, and hormonal health. We know that male fertility is half the equation, so I'm really happy to have his expertise today. Welcome, Dr. Human. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to do this. Well, I have been looking forward to having you on the show for quite some time, and it's for selfish reasons. That reason is because my Instagram messages are loaded full of people who want to know more about varicocele specifically. That was not on my radar of something that people would be messaging me about. Um, This isn't an area where I have a lot of expertise, so I was really excited to reach out. I know that this is something that you see in practice probably all the time. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to the infertility, um, the infertility aspect, varicoceles are a quite common cause of infertility, um, of male infertility. And luckily, I mean, it's a very correctable cause behind it, but um, it's more common than you think. Yeah, I can tell from all of these messages. So for anyone who's listening and they maybe don't have a lot of background, will you just tell us briefly what a varicocele is? Yeah, so think of think of a varicocele as varicose veins of your testicles. So the same varicose veins that we get on, on our calves and our lower legs, um, that same kind of thing happens for you know, with your testicles. And the reason why it's, it has such an impact on fertility is because your, your, your testicles are relatively temperature sensitive. They're very temperature sensitive. And the male scrotum, it's kind of a thermostat. So when it gets pretty cold outside, um, but the the scrotum does, it tightens up and it pulls the testicles closer to the body. So it heats them up. Uh, when it's very warm out, you know, it, it kind of relaxes, takes the testicles away from the body. Um, and that self-regulation is what keeps uh, the scrotum's function, the, scr- the testicles functioning within a very narrow temperature range. Um, so one thing that varicoceles do is um, because of the fact that you're getting this, so varicoceles are you, you, the blood flow is not draining back to the heart. So therefore it's pooling around the testicle, increasing their temperature. So increased testicular temperatures, you're having an impact, not just on sperm production and sperm quality, but also on testosterone production. So we know it impacts all levels of, of testicular function, not just from sperm standpoint, but also from a hormonal and testosterone standpoint. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it's similar to varicosities in other areas of the body. So are there the same type of risk factors like standing for a long time and poor circulation through the area? Are these the types of things that are also increasing risk for varicocele? Um, yes and no. I would say not so much from the standing portion. So really varicose veins are the one, the guys you see varicose, uh, excuse me, um, varicoceles more often is guys who really are are taller and lankier, as you can imagine, the distance from the testicles back to the heart is a lot longer for these taller um, guys, especially the guys who have larger, longer upper bodies. So um, typically we see them in those types of guys, not all the time, but um, I'd say if you have to kind of come up with a some uh, some kind of um, general sense of what the guy looks like, that's who they are. Um, and there's not really much from a lifestyle standpoint that you're doing to, to, to cause these. It's the vein is internal, deep inside, you know, deep inside our abdomens. So it's not like uh, there's a lifestyle or um, particular type of thing that we do that makes it worse. Mm-hmm. So if a couple has been trying to conceive, I'm always encouraging them, obviously, look at male fertility as well. That's a huge part of this picture. 
should our dads-to-be see a urologist like yourself to rule out varicocele as a cause of male infertility? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, I would say obviously. Um, and the question is just when. Um, yeah, typically I tell guys, if you're having issues um, three, six months of trying, you know, if you're really trying during that time, um, and, and you haven't achieved your reproductive goals, then both partners should get evaluated, not just the male partner, but the female partner too. So, um, and the, the evaluation is relatively straightforward from a male side. It's assessing for a varicocele, blood work to see your hormones, making sure hormonally things look good. And then discussing a lot of the lifestyle factors that could potentially be impacting your fertility. So the earlier you get in, there's no, there's no right time to get evaluated. I have guys who come in even before they what they want to um, conceive just to make sure everything's okay. That's completely fine. But the longer you wait, um, the longer something could go misdiagnosed or undiagnosed and create more problems down the road. Right. I would say one of the most common questions that I'm having in my inbox about varicocele is, is surgery the only option? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, it, it's it's the only it's the only option for uh, a long term um long term good outcomes I, w- I would say you know there's probably one guy in my career who was able to avoid surgery and ultimately i think he actually ended up getting the surgery but really what if you're not getting surgery all you're doing is you're basically having ice around your testicles all day right all day i mean this guy was driving he had five, I think, ten ice packs in his in his igloo cooler that he put in his car. Even when he was driving around, he's a salesman, so he was driving from place to place. Every time in his car, he was putting a new ice pack on his testicles. And to that point about the temperatures, he was eliminating the testicular, um, the he was lowering the testicular temperatures that that could um, often be caused by a varicocele. So, um, yeah. So I mean, surgery is the best option, and, and it's relatively straightforward. Yeah, I think the fear that I've heard or the apprehension around the surgery is that maybe there's some perception it's going to damage testicular tissue and then there'll be even worse fertility outcomes. Is Let's maybe do some myth busting. Is that even a thing that we need to worry about? No, no. I mean, if you're going to do these, obviously go to somebody who does these a lot, um, like anything else, right? Any type of surgery or anything that you're going to do, you want to do go to somebody who's an expert in the field. It's a small incision, I don't know, maybe two to three centimeter uh, incision right in your pubic hairline. Um, so you won't even see the incision down uh, after it fully heals up. It's outpatient, um, probably takes 30 to 45 minutes. Um, and the recovery is is relatively straightforward. I mean, you're, you're walking that day, you're a little sore for a few days, but after a week or two, you're fully back to normal. Yeah, really minimal. Recovery. I mean, look, surgery is surgery and I get it. You know, there's no, there's no such thing as a insignificant surgery. Um, it does carry their inherent risks, but if you're going to somebody who knows what they're doing, um, the, it's not as bad as what, what a lot of guys perceive. I think that's a, what you're saying is I, I receive that comment a lot. Guys are always like, Whoa, like, Oh my God, it's a big deal. But, uh, they realize afterwards that it, it was a lot easier than they thought. Right. I think there is a perception that you're going to like remove a huge portion of tissue or something like that. That's very drastic. And I've seen you post about um, microsurgical varicocele treatment. Is that the standard you do that for, for everyone? Or that's something that you have to determine if there's a good candidate? So, so that, that's what I do. That's what I specialize in, the microsurgical approach. And the only reason I do that one is because it's the most effective in terms of long-term recurrence rates. The closer you are 
to the testicles. I mean, you could really get the vein at any point. If the testicles here, anywhere up to the um, where the vein enters the the main blood circulation back to the heart. Um, but the closer you are to the testicles, you're tying off those veins um, really essentially at their origin. And by doing that, the recurrence rates are significantly, significantly lower. So if you're going to do it, do it right. The microsurgical approach is probably the least painful. Um, not, not only is it the least painful, but probably has the best long-term outcomes. That's excellent. And talking about outcomes, I'm sure you see this with couples who they've been trying to conceive. There's a sense of urgency that they often feel. So how do you set the healthy expectation of what the timeline looks like after a varicocele procedure? When can you try to conceive? What does that look like? Yeah. So sperm is produced at roughly every 70, 70 days. So every two and a half months you're getting it, sperm is, um, is being produced. Um, or excuse me, not being produced, but from the time of it being pr uh, produced, ready to be ejaculated to conceive. So um, if you're getting a varicocele, generally I tell guys, you're going to start to notice improvements in your sperm counts anywhere from three to four months. So it does take some time. Um, so during that time, let, it, let your body recover. But really, um, about three to four months is the general idea. And hence the reason why we were talking about this earlier, the earlier you get evaluated, for potential varicocele or any type of infertility issues that better um the, the earlier you address it therefore you're able to you're not delaying uh, much much longer when it comes to trying to achieve your goals yeah that makes good sense and it can kind of be complimentary i like to work with couples when they're trying to conceive and if we're going to take a couple months to wait for sperm production to be optimized we can do so much work in that time to support the health of our egg cells as well so i think that can be a beautiful system if we maximize the time that we have to take i start every one of my fertility patients on a prenatal vitamin and many of them are wondering how their male partner can take charge of their fertility too men's health is often overlooked as part of the fertility equation but they can absolutely benefit from prenatal support as well we know that nutritional deficiencies can compromise everything from libido to sperm health and can also influence our risk for chronic disease later in life. When it comes to my own husband and my male patients, I'm recommending the Needed Men's Fertility Support Plan. This is a targeted micronutrient, microbiome, antioxidant, and botanical support aimed to optimize sperm health, male fertility, testosterone levels, gut health, and overall vitality. Sperm health impacts conception outcomes and the health of our growing baby. These products are specifically designed to support male fertility on multiple levels. To add the men's fertility support plan to your preconception routine, head over to thisisneeded.com and use code FUNCTIONALFERTILITY for 20% off your first month of needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use code FUNCTIONALFERTILITY for 20% off your first month of needed products. I had a listener question come in, and I thought you'd be the best person to answer this. You did touch on this already, but um, this listener wrote in and said, is my partner's low testosterone related to his varicocele? And I'll even add to that, after you treat a varicocele, do we naturally see testosterone levels improving? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, the most recent study on this showed that there's about a 90-point improvement in your testosterone production or your testosterone levels. Now, um, now, is that for everybody? Obviously not. But um, we know that varicoceles impact testicular function across the board. Or uh, testosterone is not excluded from that. So, um, you know, by, by addressing the varicocele, 
we do improve hormone levels. However, however, the caveat to this is we have better ways of improving your testosterone levels rather than doing surgery. So if a guy comes in and he has no infertility issues, um, you know, he has no testicular pain, everything is fine, but he has low testosterone and he has varicoceles. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend a varicoselectomy for him because we have other less, like I said, minimally invasive or non-invasive ways of improving his testosterone levels um, while also preserving his fertility. So we don't need to do surgery to improve testosterone levels. This is the perfect lead into what I want to talk in, talk about next. We got to talk about low T. That's so mm -hmm. important for this conversation. Uh, so my first question is I recently read in some literature that we're seeing more and more men between the ages of 18 and 45 who are really seeking testosterone replacement therapy. And that's the window where I see most men are looking to start their family, 18 to 45. That's like a pretty big window where we see reproductive goals. Is this something you're seeing in your practice to younger and younger men coming in and wanting to go on some testosterone? Yeah, well, for sure. For sure. And I think it's what, what's happening now is these there's a lot of these clinics, these testosterone clinics that um, they're run by non-andrologists, um, non-urologists, run by you know, if you want to, if you want testosterone done right, you want it done by somebody again who knows what they're doing. So a, there's a lot of clinics out there who are just giving out testosterone to young guys. And um, what I see is I see guys coming. So so when you give testosterone, um, like synthetic testosterone, you're you're basically telling your testicles don't do the two things that they do: don't produce sperm, don't produce testosterone. So the reason why I see these guys is guys come to me. They're like, yeah, I've been on injection testosterone injections for the last five years. And I have no sperm. What do I do? Well, it's like, well, listen, I mean, there's a reason why, because you're on testosterone. No one really t tells them these things. So, um, you know, to your point about why young guys are doing this, I think part of it's a it's, you know, it makes testosterone makes guys feel good, right? There's no yeah. question about it. It, it. I get the appeal, but you have to do this right. And you have to, you have to understand the risks associated with it. And unfortunately, at least where I practice, a lot of these um, like shopping center testosterone clinics, they, they, they don't tell guys about the risks associated with it. They just, everyone gets the same treatment, the same testosterone injections. Um, and it creates it, problems for them down the road when they're trying to have families. Mm -hmm. we, we just recently talked about this on the podcast that when you give exogenous testosterone, there's this temporary contraceptive effect and mm -hmm. people aren't warned about this. And I find that to be really frustrating. I have couples and they've been trying for months and the male partners on testosterone and they had no idea that that was impacting their outcomes. Right. Right. They're just not informed because these, these clinics, uh, they make money doing it, but they're not, do, not doing a good job, at least from a patient care standpoint. But it begs the question. I mean, the fact of the matter is sometimes these guys are prescribed testosterone because they truly have low testosterone. And right. if we take the testosterone away, then we have to deal with the low T. So how are you addressing the testosterone in a, a man who's really still desiring fertility? Yeah, th th there's a number of ways where we could preserve fertility while improving testosterone levels. And and that's the main question, right? When, when a guy comes in with low testosterone, I mean, I do a lot, like I'm an andrologist, right? I do a lot of low T um, from across the board, from guy who's in his, in his 20s to somebody in their 80s. And the, the first question you have to ask all these guys is, what's your, what, are you interested in fertility? And if you are, when? You know, sometime in the next year, sometime in the next five years. And depending on where they are along that that journey or their, um, in terms of fertility, 
that, that you have to custom tailor their treatments. We have a number of ways of improving testosterone levels effectively while also preserving fertility. So you don't have to, you don't have to be on testosterone injections and deal with the, the, the negative side effects down the road um, in order to improve, improve your testosterone levels. Mm-hmm. And it's just temporary, right? Let's say you have low T, you know, you want to start a family, you probably would benefit from some testosterone, testosterone therapy at some point, you have your children and live that part of your life, you can do testosterone later, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if you're interested in doing testosterone earlier on, that's fine. But bank your sperm, for example, right? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, go go to a sperm bank and bank your sperm. I will tell you, I would tell you like, so they, they published a study probably within the last month, or maybe it was um, it was a few weeks ago, actually, um, talking about guys who are on testosterone placement therapy and their chances of recovery. Um, there was a previous study probably published sometime in the last 10 years that looked at this, and all the guys had recovered, right? All the guys who were on testosterone placement therapy, uh, over time, over the course of four to six months, their sperm production recovered. A newer study was published on this where some guys didn't recover. Um, and it begs the question, were they ever producing sperm in the first place? Tough to tell, right? Tough to tell. Um, but to me, it's not worth the risk, right? If, if there's a chance that being on testosterone replacement therapy is going to kill your sperm production permanently. And I agree with you. To me, it's always been temporary, right? I've only, I can tell you anecdotally from my, my, my clinical experience, I've only seen guys recover. But based on some of these studies, you know, you see some guys are unable to recover. So it's not worth the risk to me. Bank your sperm, right? Bank your sperm if you are going to jump on testosterone replacement therapy. And you'll always have the opportunity to, to, to use that bank sperm for fertility. An interesting piece in some of these studies that come out showing recovery of spermatogenesis after discontinuing, it's like, well, sometimes it takes a couple years. And one of the factors is what how, how um, low your testosterone was before you started therapy and how poor your spermatogenesis was before you started therapy. But then we see these guys and they never had a semen analysis before they started testosterone. So we just don't have that knowledge to be able to give them informed consent about what might happen. And I think that, I think that is a a bit of a disservice. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, You know, letting them know and inform me about this is is of great importance. Right. Let's talk about lifestyle because I've often wondered, like we we know all of these things like visceral adiposity or belly fat and being sedentary, that that can all affect testosterone. But when we start to work on these lifestyle factors, I mean, is it enough? Do we see that lifestyle alone can get testosterone to a level that the guy is feeling good or do you almost always need something more? Yeah, um, it's so it varies, obviously, but I would say... Um, so to your point, the, the, the current lifestyle that a lot of us are living, and this is to your earlier point of why younger guys are so inter- interested in testosterone, it's because we live a very sedentary lifestyle indoors. So we're lacking that vitamin D. Um, sedentary lifestyle, so we're, that we're getting the adiposity, therefore more of our testosterone is being converted to estrogen. Um, the, the, our lifestyles these days are not conducive to, to normal testosterone levels, right? Or good, healthy testosterone levels. For, for a lot of men, um, not all men, but a lot of men. So um, can can we re- reboot that system through lifestyle changes? Yes, yes. Is it going to take time? Of course, right? And in this day and age where everything is right at our fingertips, you know, we want things done now, today, you know, th- that creates some problems, that creates some challenges on our end. So um, what I've found to do is, it, I've been quite successful with this, is 
I'll do something. So for example, one of the medications we talk about for boosting testosterone is called Clomid or Clomiphene, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, so we call this the Clomid challenge or the Clomiphene challenge. So what happens is I'll put guys on this for anywhere from three to six months and the testosterone levels will definitely rise. Inevitably, this for young guys, right? This is primarily for young guys. Their testosterone levels will inevitably rise. And I always tell them once you're at that point where your testosterone levels are in the six, seven, 800 range, where those good, normal, healthy levels, that's when you really, that's when the lifestyle things are kicking in. So I'm giving you the energy in order for you to maintain. So start going to the gym, start getting better sleep, start exercising, start eating a, a good, healthy diet. All the things that are, are good for not just your, your hormonal health, your fertility health, your cardiac health, all of these things. And um, do those things will come off the clomid after about three to six months. And then you maintain, right? You maintain at that point and you keep good, healthy testosterone levels um, once we get you, once we kickstart your system with the medications. Wow. I really like that approach because, you know, we talk about exercise with patients. Well, sometimes they have fatigue that is so severe that they can't get there or they have musculoskeletal pain that prevents them from exercising. So you treat those drivers so they're able to do the behavior change you're recommending. And then it's like this perpetuating forward feed forward cycle of good behavior change. Exactly. Exactly. They, you know, we give them it really, it's just a kickstart. That's what it is. And then they feel good. They, they, they start looking at themselves in the mirror, like they look good. You know, they, they build that self-confidence in themselves of whatever they're doing. It has this positive feedback loop and they, they carry it on the rest of the way. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's really approachable. I really like that. It's very, that was very functional medicine oriented, that approach, which that's my background. So I really appreciate that. I want to take a minute and talk to you about another theme that I see a lot in my patients. And that's, they want to talk about vasectomy reversal. Um, there's some percentage of men who get vasectomies and then later on they have a new partner or they change yeah. their mind and they need to get a reversal. So will you talk to us about the effects on the sperm that we should be thinking about? Are there things that we should worry about? Lifestyle wise? The effects on the sperm, like does having the vasectomy for so long, now you're going to do the reversal. Do we see damage to the sperm? Is it, is it poor quality sperm following the reversal? Yeah. So, so what we know is this, we know that, um, so you're always producing sperm, even after the vasectomy, right? You're always producing sperm. And when we do the vasectomies, at least when I try to do them, I do them in a way of prolonging. I do, I do, I'll, I'll explain it like this. I do it in a way of giving um, leaving as much of the tail of the vas deferens attached to the testicle. Reason being is you're always producing sperm and that sperm has to go somewhere. And the, the vas deferens, which we're cutting, it, it serves as somewhat of a pop-off valve. Um, so as, as time goes on, as years and years go on, there's a buildup of pressure because they're still producing sperm, but there's a buildup of pressure in the testicle. And the more pressure that gets built up, the, the lower quality of sperm, um, the lower counts, all of the things that are important for fertility. So um, to get back to the question, um, generally we tell guys within seven to 10 years um, after a vasectomy, your chances of a successful vasectomy reversal are close, clo close to 100%, right? 95 to 100%. A after 10 years, 10, 15, 20 years, those rates decline significantly, mm -hmm. um, as low as 60%. So um, the earlier you do the vasectomy reversal relative to the time of the vasectomy, the better off and the more successful you'll be. So five years after your initial yeah. procedure is likely that it's going to be successful and 
you'll be able yeah, to as long as, yeah as long as you as long as you've you know you've had kids before you're still maintaining a, a relatively healthy lifestyle yeah it's not a problem mm-hmm. i read recently that the average time it takes for female partners to become pregnant after a reversal surgery is about 11 months is that true in your practice or you see it happen sooner yeah i would say 11, 11 months is a bit so similar to the to the um Varicocele. I, I generally say within four to six months, you're able to start having ejaculated sperm. Now, how much how much ejaculated sperm? Tough to tell. It varies from person to person. Um, but yeah, four to six months, and, and from there to the point of conceiving, um, that's a different. You know, there's more variables involved there. But um, four to six months until you have sperm in the ejaculate. Mm-hmm. Which that's a relatively short timeline. Like we talked about, it gives you the space to do all this other preconception counseling to optimize your chances. So I think, you know, that would be a little comforting to me if I knew that I had this whole reversal that I needed to overcome. But then four to six months out, we could be having ejaculate with sperm. That's pretty exciting, actually. Yeah, I agree. What about anti-sperm antibodies? Is this something that we need to be worried about? And maybe this speaks to your point earlier of the longer it's been since the original procedure, we have more issues. Are these things related? Not so much. Um, You're talking about anti-sperm antibodies relative to the antibodies, yeah. Relative to the vasectomy. After the reversal, do we see more antibodies? No, not no, not so much. That's that really isn't as much of an issue because we're not. You really see a lot of anti-sperm antibodies when when you're going directly into the testicle, mm-hmm. right? When you when you're, that's when you really see them more to the point where it's clinically has some kind of impact. But you're not really inducing a lot of your immune mediated, you know, your your, your immune cells just from the vas deferens. Um, it's really more so. It's really more so when you have testicular fractures or you're doing things relative, to, you know, down in the testicular area where you're opening up um, those tubules, that's when your body really sends that kind of response, but not from a vasectomy reversal. Okay, good. So if anybody had that on their mind and they were worried, they can remove that from their list of things that they're yeah, terrified about for this procedure. Yeah. Great. Um, we've touched on this a little bit. Um, I, I, Like I said, I'm typically asking my female patients to give me, to devote four to six months to really diving deep on their lifestyle factors, doing their labs, getting everything ready for preconception. And sometimes their their male partner will do this with them. But let's say some a guy has no known fertility issues. We just want to maximize his chances of conceiving with his partner. What's your advice on how long before they start trying? Should he start you know, doing the exercise and getting good quality sleep and getting dietary antioxidants to support the quality of his sperm? You, you mean relative to what? Like how long before? How long before the couple really starts trying to conceive? Like timed intercourse, they're really ready to go. Oh, I, I'd say at least three months. At, at least three months, yeah. And and the the, the point here is, it's like you, you what you're doing all these things that are good for your fertility health. They're good for your overall health. So these guys were, you know, we're telling these guys that like, um, you know, you're improving your hormone counts, you're improving your your fertility health. But you're also doing your your overall health, which is going to make you a more functional, better, more energetic father, right? So, you know, you want to go into fatherhood with the best foot forward. So um, these things, you're really killing two, three birds with three birds with a single stone. So um, we're not, you know, we're not asking you to do a lot, but a lot of uh, crazy things, but just improving your overall health is um, just good for fatherhood overall. 
Yeah, I talk about that all the time with preconception counseling. It's not just preparing for pregnancy. It's also reducing our risk for cancer, cognitive decline, diabetes, all kinds of chronic diseases that prevent us from enjoying this family we've worked so hard for. So I think that point's very well taken. I always like to end our episodes with some fun questions. And so I have a few listener questions that I wanted to to float your way. So the first one is, is the car seat warmer a significant enough source of testicular heat that we should say, no, you can't turn your heat, your seat heater on in the car? Um, it, it, it Well, it depends on obviously how long the car ride is. There's a few variables involved, but I do want to give you a good answer. I would say if, if you're trying to conceive, don't you're better off not doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great because that's what I said too to this question. So I'm very glad that you agree. I mean, it's something we can control. It's a variable we can control. So let's just not do it. Precisely, precisely. Anything that could potentially, even even if it's a single digit uh, percent chance that it can negatively impact your sperm health, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. Um, The next question is, do you have an opinion on all of these direct-to-consumer or at-home semen analysis tests that we have available now? Like, I think it increases access because a lot of guys, in my experience, they don't want to go to the clinic and give their semen sample. Um, can we do an at-home kit? Yeah, and I, I generally recommend it. I recommend it uh, to a lot of my patients who come in from, you know, they're driving hour and a half, two hours. Um, just do it at home. Do it at home. It's easy. Uh, you know, these, these semen analyses, the at-home ones, they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty good in terms of matching them up with, um, an in-office semen analysis. So they're good. Um, and, um, it, 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 like everything else with healthcare, telehealth, we're doing things at home. This is a great option now, and it will be, it will be even a better option down the road as the technology improves. Mm-hmm. And so let's say someone does an at-home test, they find something abnormal, then the next step is they reach out to someone like you who can help contain those results and help them figure out next steps, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Perfect. Dr. Human, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show and answer these questions that have been so prevalent in my feed. Will you let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, well, thank you. It's been great too from my end. Um, but yeah, you can find me anywhere online. Um, Google the social media platforms. My name is Justin Human, H O U M A N. Um, I'm all this on. I'm on all the social media platforms. So feel free to reach out with any questions and let me know what I could do to help out in any way. Thank you so very much for your time. I so appreciate having you. Big thanks to our show's producer, Paola Martini, and a thank you at our friends for our friends over at Needed who sponsored today's episode. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you next time. Did you love this episode and want to hear more? Head over to drkaliawaddles.com slash podcast where you can find more episodes on all things fertility. Fertility.